The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. It feels like all our heroes are counterfeit. We all know why. Because it's painful enough to pretend. The world itself is just one big hoax. Hi everyone. Welcome to a special solo podcast. I've got some interesting stuff for you today. So before I dive in here, I wanted to mention that I do have a new subscriber's section of Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, it's only $3 a month, and I post these little kind of mini episodes as bonus content that you can get, and that's only for subscribers. So it's the best way I know how to kind of keep the lights on. Get it? Keep a light on. But uh, yeah, that would be super helpful if you enjoy my content. I think you'll enjoy the bonus episodes that I do. I try to keep the bulk of the podcast totally free for everybody especially when it comes to information I think everybody should know uh, but I do got to keep the lights on and uh, uh, my life is not always easy so I appreciate everybody who subscribes or donates you can also just donate through the buy me a coffee link that I always put in the description thanks to everybody today I'm going to be talking about some pretty deep subjects and stuff that could be seen as pretty dark or pretty out there. So if you're one of those people that are not super open to that sort of thing, you may want to skip this one. A lot of this hinges on more metaphysical aspects and and maybe what would be described as the supernatural. So although I will be inserting some supporting texts and things here and there, I'm not necessarily going to provide proof of everything. And I'm not saying I have proof of everything. But this material is from things that I've read in anthroposophical and esoteric texts from over a hundred years ago. So uh, I'm just presenting you with another viewpoint. And uh, as always, be sure to do your own research. Some people may know Rudolf Steiner, but if you're not familiar, Steiner was the founder of Anthroposophy. He was a pretty interesting Austrian occultist and clairvoyant. Wikipedia defines anthroposophy as a spiritual movement which was founded in the early 20th century by the esotericist Rudolf Steiner that postulates the existence of an objective, intellectually comprehensible spiritual world accessible to human experience. And if you're not familiar, when I say the word occult, it means hidden, things that are hidden from the general public, from society in general. doesn't mean you're burning black candles and praying to Satan or, or whatever. It can, but it doesn't typically. So just if you're confused by that, uh, there's a lot of really cool shit in, in the occult, like occult sciences and esotericism and all of that. So he uh, navigated primarily in that whole world. Steiner was one person who spoke a lot about something called the Eighth Sphere, The Eighth Sphere is deeply initiated information, meaning it was knowledge only known by high-level adepts of the mystery schools and secret societies of the time. 
information on the A-sphere was first released by a theosophist by the name of Alfred Percy Sinnett in his book Esoteric Buddhism, which was said to have angered the mystery schools quite a bit as, uh, again, it was deeply occulted information. They were not happy about it. Charles George Harrison, in his book The Transcendental Universe, said that the A-sphere must always remain a mystery to the uninitiated and even to the initiated below a certain grade, as its comprehension requires the development of perceptive faculties latent in the majority of men. The eighth sphere, also known as Kamaloka, is an invisible area or realm essentially encapsulating the Earth and the Moon, also influenced by Saturn behind it. And when we talk about the Saturn-Moon matrix, that's essentially the same thing. This area in biblical terms could be seen as purgatory or hell, uh, or in Buddhism, the bardo. There's various names for it. Um, It's also known as the lower astral realm, which is often spoken about in near-death experiences. I believe this is where a lot of people end up. It's an area between death and rebirth. Maybe even uh, when people describe the void, I think this is the same place. But this area is a place of disembodied beings, spirits, uh, entities. It's a nightmare realm that is essentially a mirror of our negative impulses. It's a sort of catch-all for um, our nightmares and negative thought forms. And so that's why when people go to this state, this realm, they experience different beings, like they see gray aliens, they see uh, reptilian beings, you know, all manner of, of different experiences. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. They can all take shape or form of any kind within this realm. And Steiner said that it was controlled by Lucifer and Satan, who were separate entities. And a lot of people don't know that, but uh, it appears that they are separate entities. Steiner referred to Satan as Ahriman, and you could also see him as the Demiurge in Gnosticism. So for a while I thought these figures, Lucifer, Satan were not beings. I thought they were merely um, astrotheological representations. You know, they were often associated with planets and things like that. But I think what it is, is they represent a, a certain impulse, a, a certain uh, kind of energy or signature. And so in the lower astral realm, you can personify as anything. You can 
you can take on any form. And so it's really a bit of both. There are electromagnetic signatures or energy signatures or impulses that are taking on this personified form. And so Lucifer and Satan are the two impulses that are said to run the eighth sphere. Here's what A.P. Sinnott had to say about Kamaloka or the Eighth Sphere in his book Esoteric Buddhism. He wrote, Kamaloka may be permanently inhabited by astral beings, by elementals, but can only be an antechamber to some other state for human beings. In the case imagined, the surviving personality is promptly drawn into the current of its future destinies, and these have nothing to do with the Earth's atmosphere or with Devachan, but with that eighth sphere of which occasional mention will be found in older occult writings. It will have been unintelligible to ordinary readers hitherto why it was called the Eighth Sphere, but since the explanation now given out for the first time of the sevenfold constitution of our planetary system, the meaning will be clear enough. The spheres of the cyclic process of evolution are seven in number, but there is an eighth in connection with our Earth, our Earth being, it will be remembered, the turning point in a cyclic chain. And this Eighth Sphere is out of circuit, a cul-de-sac, and the bourne from which it may be truly said, no traveler returns. Helena Blavatsky was quoted as saying, Kamaloka, the semi-material plane to us subjective and invisible, where the disembodied personalities, the astral forms called Kamarupa, remain until they fade out from it by the complete exhaustion of the effects of the mental impulses that created these eidolons of human and animal passions and desires. It is the Hades of the ancient Greeks and the Amenti of the Egyptians, the land of silent shadows. Author Tom Montauk has some interesting things to say. He said, our moon is a sort of counterweight to another sphere, which remains invisible to ordinary vision. This counterweighted sphere is called, in esoteric circles, the Eighth Sphere. We must be careful with these words, for in spite of what I have just said, this region is not itself a sphere, nor is it a moon. Even to locate it behind the physical moon is not correct, for in the spiritual realm, spaces and distances are different. The truth is that this eighth sphere does not pertain to anything we are familiar with on the physical plane, yet we must use words from our own vocabularies whenever we wish to denote its existence. Were we to use a word which fits most appropriately this sphere, then we should really call it a vacuum. Certainly, vacuum is a more appropriate term than sphere, for the eighth sphere sucks things into its own shadowy existence. This sphere is lower in the scale of being than the seventh sphere, which is the earth. It acts as a sort of demonic conduit to suck into its maws certain degenerate spiritual forms on the earth. It is a shadow sphere, controlled by shadow beings. However, the fact that they are shadow beings should not lead us to demote or underestimate their capabilities and intelligence. In many respects, they are more intelligent than man, for they are not limited by the power of love, as is mankind. The operation of this eighth sphere is complex. Its denizens, those shadowy beings for whom it is home, wish to people their sphere with humanity, or more accurately, with human souls. Towards this end, it has erected what we might call terminals on the earth. These terminals are soul conduits, which will suck into the lower sphere a certain form of materialized spiritual energy that is engendered on the earth plane. 
The most usual circumstances where this materialization of engendering takes place is in seances, and in other localities wherein human beings attempt to meddle against the cosmic law with the lower etheric planes. It's pretty interesting that he describes it as a vacuum, right? It's kind of funny because mainstream science, mainstream cosmology will tell us that space is an endless vacuum. And if you have half a brain in your head and you've looked into that stuff, you know that that's not possible, right? Because we have a gas pressure system uh, adjacent to a sky vacuum with no barrier in between. And, you know, idiots will argue against this all day, but they, they cannot demonstrate that existing anywhere. You cannot have a gas pressure system abutting a vacuum, right? It's an empty space. Any empty space would be immediately filled by that gas pressure system. Our oxygen would be sucked up into space. Otherwise, you know, that's an entropy violation. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It's funny because, you know, they often do this, I feel like. They they will say something that's true, but not true in the way that they apply it. I've, I've found that over and over again. They It's like this, it's almost like a troll, you know what I mean? I want to address this really quick with a video by Nathan Oakley. Now, he's a flat earther, and I'm not, you know, making any claims on the shape of the earth or anything, but he explains this law perfectly. So here's a little segment I cut together using Nathan Oakley's video. I want you to check it out real quick. I have in one of these bulbs some bromine, and in the other I have a, a vacuum. And if I open the tap between these two, you will see spontaneously the bromine rush from one to the other. Now that is the simplest change we can have, perhaps, because all that happens is a change in entropy. In this case, the expansion into a vacuum, nothing else is involved. There's no energy change, there's no temperature change, there's no change except entropy. When you suggest that you have space, therefore second law of thermodynamics doesn't apply, it's a begging the question fallacy. So often I will ask fundamentalist religious zealots, Beyond your fundamentalist religious zealot belief that the sky is a vacuum, how can you have gas pressure without a container? Because the natural instinct of a fundamentalist globe-believing fundy, it's a bit redundant, <laughs> is to beg the question of the sky vacuum and then tell us that obviously the second law of thermodynamics doesn't apply because the gas isn't filling my presupposition that the sky is a vacuum. Well, that's a begging the question fallacy. To assume that you've got a sky vacuum and therefore not require a justification for its violation of that particular law, that would be an entropy increase or standard gas law. The volume that you would calculate it with would be the volume of space the gas has to fill. And if the sky was a vacuum, that would be an availability of volume for the gas we breathe to fill. And fill it, it must. That's what gas does. It expands in all directions. So the gas we're breathing, which is at pressure, would fill the sky vacuum. Now, their response is often to say, well, we have a gas pressure gradient, which is merely a delta of the original question and assertion when you've got a sky vacuum belief. How can you have gas pressure in the first instance without a container? And they would say, well, a delta of gas pressure, gas pressure gradient is something we experience. So 
like, well, how did you achieve the gas pressure in the first place without containment? And the answer is, you can't. It stands directly in violation of several natural laws. Without the container, there can be no pressure. Therefore, if the sky was a vacuum, as asserted in the heliocentric rhetoric, then the gas we breathe would fill the space. Outer space, claimed to be a vacuum, is fake. Now I want to reiterate what he just ended with. It's outer space claimed to be a vacuum is fake. Not space is entirely fake. Now the problem with a lot of flat earth people is that they learn about this entropy violation and then they go on thinking, well, space is completely fake. Anything they say about space is fake. Other beings are fake. The planets are fake. <laughs> or I'm not sure what they believe exactly. There's probably some variation. But um, I see that uh, as a big problem and it's created this sort of dialectic within a dialectic that they love to do. There's a lot of that and people don't realize it. So I don't believe space is fake. I think space is made up of dimensions and densities. It's a spiritual realm. It's a metaphysical realm. And that's exactly why they're hiding it from us. That's why they want us to argue about the shape of the earth. And they push you into this dialectic, well, no, space is either a vacuum or space is completely fake, right? Because then you're too busy to realize that space is a spiritual realm and you're too busy to understand that you have a soul and and if you understand you have a soul you're presented with so many questions and you understand that we're part of something much greater than some endless sky vacuum right it doesn't even make sense how do you shoot rockets up there you can't even there you got nothing to push off of in a vacuum it's ridiculous now, the reason I think that there's something to all this is because I was inviting people who have had near-death experiences on my show, and they were telling me things like, I went into outer space. They said I was in space, uh, I saw planets, I saw stars, I saw souls. Here's my guest, Vina Hill. If you haven't seen her episode check it out. Uh, oh my God, it's amazing. But here's what she had to say, and it's very, very pertinent to what we just talked about. That's also how space is. Like, there's different layers right. of dimensions and densities out there. Right. You um, said something about it being solid at some point in one of your um, Well, solid as far as, like, viewable to us. Is that what yeah. you mean? Like, yeah. to... Yeah, I'm trying to sort of translate the two. Yeah, if that so, works, I don't know. Right. So, um, like, for instance, there was this huge spherical ship that was out there. Okay. That was very solid. But the, the most amazing thing to me was, along with seeing that ship, uh, and my guy was explaining, like, the beings that were on the ship and stuff. But at the same time, I was conscious of a, a, a dimension that was beyond that ship, but that was overlaid on that ship of a whole nother type of uh, beings, of, of these other beings that were traveling that seemed to just go like right through them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is the type of stuff that I was seeing out there. It's mind blowing. So it's, different it's layers of, of dimensions, essentially. Yes. Okay. Different layers of dimensions. And then my guide said, there's also different densities out in space. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference between densities and dimensions. So there you go. I mean, you have people who have literally died and had these after, like afterlife experiences and they're saying things that they were publishing in textbooks and esoterica, you know, over a hundred years ago. So I think there's some really powerful stuff there. Now, Vina did mention she witnessed various beings in her afterlife experience. So I want to get back to the type of entities that may live in the eighth sphere. Because I hear a lot of stories from my NDE guests about witnessing reptilians, witnessing gray aliens, all these types of of creatures. So let's talk about aliens. Aliens. Do they exist? What are they? Where? been told that we live in a vast and infinite universe and if we were ever to be visited by other life it would be from a planet light years away what if that's not the case what if these other beings have been here all along with a very different mode of transportation When you're searching through a radio or television, you're tuning through an electromagnetic band of frequencies to find a station broadcasting a clear signal within that spectrum. But sometimes, as you flip through, one channel may interfere with another and bleed together, combining those two channels. Humans are also electromagnetic beings. In fact, the entire Earth works this way. The fundamental electromagnetic frequency or Schumann resonance surrounding the Earth even falls within the range of those that govern our brain. So it isn't a stretch to compare ourselves to a kind of human radio or television set. So if the station on your radio and the channel on your TV can be interfered with by another frequency, we could assume that the frequency of this dimension, and even the frequency of our body's bioelectrical field, could be interfered with by another dimension's frequency. Or perhaps, more terrifyingly, a being from that dimension. So what I'm attempting to describe there is essentially uh, a sort of supposed science behind what is basically possession or uh, a spirit infiltrating a human form. Because if we believe in different dimensions, different frequencies, 
then those frequencies can blend together. And this is what we're talking about when, when we hear about shape-shifting and all that, right? We hear David Icke talk about this all the time. He's been talking about it for like 30 years or something. But so that gives you a little bit of a scientific view of what could be going on there. So hopefully that sounds a little less crazy. And keep in mind, our viewable spectrum of light is 0.0035%. That's the tiny band of visible light frequency that we see. So we really don't know what the hell we're talking about or what's going on around us for the most part. We don't know what we're really seeing when we're looking at our own Earth, or we're looking up at the sky, we're looking at the planets. You know, we want to talk about shape of the Earth or whatever. We really don't know because we're so limited. I think what snags people love about the whole alien thing is, is that people get too caught up in the labels. I've asked people before, you know, do you believe in demons? And uh, the vast majority said yes. And then I asked them if they believe in aliens, and it was a way lower number. (laughs) But the funny thing is, a lot of these beings are really the same thing. These are beings that experienced a type of de-evolution. Instead of ascending in their spiritual growth, they turned away from God and morality and, and became consumed by the more superficial and material parts of life. And they fell into matter. That's why they call them fallen, because everything is about density. A spirit is less dense, and when you are more dense, you are connected to matter, to the matrix. Because we were on Earth, and it's the densest planet. I see them as a sort of golem. Like the character from Lord of the Rings. What happened to him, right? He became consumed with greed and superficiality that the ring promoted. And he devolved from a human named Smeagol into a creature then known as Gollum. So when we talk about the typical gray alien, uh, these are humans that experience basically the same thing. They're interdimensional from different timelines, frequencies of the earth. And they've already gone through the sort of AI agenda that we see starting now in our current timeline. The greys are often experienced in these abduction scenarios, right? Where they're taking genetic material or they're performing various experiments on people. And it's because they're trying to get back into the life wave of this planet before they're uh, essentially weeded out of existence. And they're always described as sort of robotic or, you know, almost like half biological, half uh, technological creatures. And I had Zeph Daniel on the show who's experienced a gray being before. He he saw one in his living room or his bedroom or whatever. And uh, he had a pretty terrifying experience. And he said something very interesting. This is what he had to say. This thing looked at me from the doorway. And even though the eyes were big black, like black, like sunglass lenses, but behind the eye, there was this like little white light going back and forth. Mm. You know, that's what we think robot, you know, going like this. Right. And those eyes, though, they did look right through me. I had no power. So it was very interesting that he described them as uh, robots. And there's an old interview David Icke did with a Zulu shaman 
named Credo Mutwa. And he's a very respected Zulu shaman who had uh, some really intense experiences. He had an abduction experience. Uh, and there's like three hours or something like this of, of this interview, if not more. But there's a little snippet here I want to play where he also describes the gray aliens. So I'm going to play that real quick. They are the forerunners of the Chitauri in any place. And if you look, if you are very close to one of these creatures, and you look into its goggle-like eyes, you will see round eyes, Mr. Ick, beyond this black goggle-like stuff. And these eyes are the real creature's eyes. So pretty similar explanations there, which lends itself to this idea that these beings are a sort of artificial intelligence. They are manifestations of our collective negative thought forms and impulses and they represent some negative aspect of ourselves or uh, maybe shadow work that we haven't done so the a sphere basically functions as a sort of mirror to our collective negative impulses they say people who have experiences are tied to the beings they see in some way they are uh, a shadow of self and in fact zeph daniels uh you know he even said when he saw this gray alien, he immediately remembered an abuse situation that he had had as a child. I thought that was so interesting, and it makes sense to me now. And really, you know, what do we hear about most when we when we talk about demons, right? Fight off your demons, right? Meaning some negative aspect of ourselves. And so that, in my understanding, is what aliens and demonic entities are. At the, at the sort of base level. But within this reality, they are very real and very dangerous. So I, I don't want you to get confused in what I'm saying. It's like if you're the character in a video game and you have to fight a boss, you can die in the video game and that has serious repercussions within the reality of that game. And so within the reality of this game we call Earth, these beings are a very real threat, and they're disembodied beings. So they're looking for hosts. And that's what's going on in this eighth sphere. And I believe the eighth sphere is also referred to as the firmament in a lot of different texts. So there are various firmaments, actually, of each realm. Like in this realm, the firmament consists of this eighth sphere which has all these demonic and disembodied entities. A lot of people get confused, like in the, in the um, flat earth realm, right? They think of the firmament as of this dome around the earth. And I don't know, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not making any claims on all that stuff, but um, they use it as absolute proof just by seeing this word in the Bible or something. Uh, and even if it is tied into some kind of dome or um, coverage of the earth, uh, there's more to it than that. You know, the firmament is is like a, a realm. It's the uh, the lower astral realm, and it's actually made up of layers. Uh, the astral realm, 
but we're primarily speaking about the lower astral realm, right? You even hear like people like David Icke talk about reptilians coming from the lower fourth dimension. This stuff can get confusing because there are so many labels for the same thing, so you have to kind of pull everything apart. I want to read a couple snippets from a text called The Ascension of Isaiah. Uh, most people have never heard of it, but it's a uh, Judeo-Christian text uh, estimated to be written around 70 AD to 175 AD. And uh, scholars believe it to be a compilation of several texts completed by an unknown Christian scribe who claimed to be the prophet Isaiah. It's very similar to some of the texts you might read in Gnosticism. It's a very Gnostic-like text. And now Hezekiah and Yosab, my son, these are the days of the completion of the world. After it is consummated... Beliar, the great ruler, the king of this world, will descend, who hath ruled it since it came into being. Yea, he will descend from his firmament, in the likeness of a man. And this is translated from the Ethiopic, uh, and it says, Beliar, the great ruler. The Ethiopic may be rendered angel, or archon, or ruler. That's because Beliar is Satan, king of this world. He is called the ruler of this world, the prince of this world. This firmament is subsequently referred to in these pages as the dwelling place of Samuel and probably of Beliar. Unlike St. Paul, who in some way conceived evil powers to have their abode in heaven. The writer of this book admits them to no higher place than the firmament, which lies immediately below the first heaven. Goes on to describe lawless king, the angel of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. Lawlessness is the characteristic of the Antichrist. So they're talking about the King Archon, the ruler, Satan, in the firmament. So it seems like even the translator of this is confused about heaven versus the firmament. Heaven is used as the firmament. When they talk about heaven, a lot of times... And I think there's some interchangeability, but when they talk about heaven, they're talking about the firmament, the eighth sphere. Here's another section where it says, And the angel who was sent to make him see was not of this firmament, nor was he of the angels of glory of this world, but he had come from the seventh heaven. So there are various realms with various firmaments. But in the Bible, specifically, when they talk about the firmament, I think they're talking about the eighth sphere. They're talking about hell because that is ruled by Satan. Here's another section where it says, And we ascended to the firmament, I and he, and there I saw Samuel and his hosts, and there was great fighting therein, and the angels of Satan were envying one another. And as above, so on the earth also. For the likeness of that which is in the firmament is here on the earth. Which brings me to my next point. There's a lot of lore and mythology about these beings being underground. Inner earth, hollow earth, deep inside the caves. There are a lot of disappearances that happen in mountains, in various cave systems. There was actually a book published in 1871, and it was published anonymously at first. And the story is, I think, that people just eventually kind of figured out who it was, and it was this guy named Edward Bulwer-Lytton. 
the book's called the the coming race or it's also under the title vril the power of the coming race uh here's a quick little blurb from wikipedia on it vril the power of the coming race originally published simply as the coming race is a novel by edward bulwer lytton published anonymously in 1871 some readers have believed the account of a superior subterranean master race and the energy form called vril the name of which is a shortened version of virile some theosophists, notably Helena Blavatsky, William Scott Elliot, and Rudolf Steiner, accepted the book as based on occult truth in part. I'm going to read the little synopsis here, too. The novel centers on a young independent unnamed wealthy traveler who visits a friend, a mining engineer. They explore a natural chasm in a mine which has been exposed by an exploratory shaft. The narrator reaches the bottom of the chasm safely, but the rope breaks and his friend is killed. The narrator finds his way into a subterranean world occupied by beings who seem to resemble angels. He befriends the first being he meets, who guides him around a city that is reminiscent of ancient Egyptian architecture. The narrator soon discovers that the Vrilia, that is the name of the, the race, are descendants of the antediluvian civilization called the Anna, who live in networks of caverns linked by tunnels. Originally surface dwellers, they fled underground thousands of years ago to escape a massive flood and gained greater power by facing and dominating the harsh conditions of the earth. I want to read one of the first parts of the book uh, where he and his companion are descending into a huge chasm, an underground chasm. They're lowering themselves down with a rope, it says, I got safely to the ground beneath, and the engineer now began to lower himself, but he had scarcely accomplished ten feet of the descent when the fasteners, which we had fancied so secure, gave way, or rather the rock itself proved treacherous and crumbled beneath the strain, and the unhappy man was precipitated to the bottom, falling just at my feet and bringing down with his fall splinters of the rock, one of which fortunately, but a small one, struck and for the time stunned me. When I recovered my senses, I saw my companion, an inanimate mass, beside me, life utterly extinct. While I was bending over his corpse in grief and horror, I heard close at hand a strange sound between a snort and a hiss, and turning instinctively to the quarter from where it came, I saw emerging from a dark fissure in the rock a vast and terrible head, with open jaws and dull, ghastly, hungry eyes, the head of a monstrous reptile resembling that of a crocodile or alligator but infinitely larger than the largest creature of that kind i had ever beheld in my travels an interesting fact about this book is that hitler and high-ranking members of the nazi party were actually big fans of this book and accepted it as fact you can read all about the nazi vril society and the Thule society it's hard to find a lot of really deep information on this subject because they call it a conspiracy theory and, you know, they say it's all myth. But the deepest information, insider information you can find, says that they were doing rituals and they were communicating with, with demonic entities of the lower astral realm, the, the eighth sphere. You can see here, this is Himmler's castle. Hitler was a high ranking SS officer and he's got himself a nice little ritual room here what do you suppose they were doing there having tea parties doesn't seem likely 
there's a lot of mythology and and lore about them communicating with with aliens and uh you know the whole ufo technology thing i mean that's a whole nother rabbit hole that i don't have time to go into but it's very interesting and the coming race was a big inspiration to them but the idea was that they were communicating with these demonic entities and they were getting information about technology and they came up with all this new technology. That's why they had these flying saucers and, uh, you know, various things that would be deemed crazy for that time. This is the idea behind why they do these satanic rituals. They're communicating with the eighth sphere. They're getting information. They're essentially selling their soul, right? Because they're giving away their energy to these entities that, that feed off of it. So they're giving away their soul energy. And in return, they get information and power and, you know, whatever they really want to accomplish. But it comes at a price, a very heavy price. And you see these members of the elites, right, who look like their souls have just been depleted. It's very interesting how you see some of them and they just look absolutely gone. So I'm just saying maybe it's not so crazy. They seem to be doing something. But anyone who really knows about the Nazi party knows that the Nazis were dark occultists. They were into the dark occult. They were very into astrology. I don't think they deny this, but they just kind of skip over it. They don't talk about it. And that's the whole reason they took the swastika, which was a symbol of peace and prosperity, and they turned it to the left to symbolize the left-hand path because they invert things. They were essentially Satanists. The left-hand path symbolizes evil there's this idea that the nazis were somehow good in certain sections of the truth movement or whatever but that's not the case they were absolutely dark occultists they did terrible things whether you want to question some of the history on that sure absolutely i don't think that history is necessarily represented accurately and the cult will often use whatever side they need to be on in order to get ahead. As long as they achieve their goal, it doesn't matter what side they're on or what they represent themselves as. That's how they work. And so I see Hitler as nothing but a puppet. He was funded by the bankers. The whole Nazi party was funded by the bankers, the Rothschilds, you name it. And just to get back into the sort of subterranean aspect of of these beings. Uh, I know I'm getting off the the path here, but um, believe it or not, back in the 1930s in Los Angeles, there was a man by the name of Warren G. Schufelt who believed he found the catacomb city of the lizard people. And he became obsessed with hunting the treasure that he believed was buried there. It's a really interesting story. I think I'm going to do an extra on it at some point, so I won't get too much into that. I came across a random documentary online about the mole people of the Las Vegas Strip, which is a, a group of homeless people who live in the subway system under Las Vegas. They're not actual mole people, but the things that they say that they've experienced while living in the, in the sewer system was very interesting to me. Take a look. Maybe the aloha spirit is the reason they've never been bothered by the evil spirits they claim haunt the tunnels. 
There's spirits down here. Spirits? You know? so, yeah. yeah. And we hear the other people in the other tunnels talk about the evil spirits and stuff, yeah. but we don't get those. Really? Yeah. Why do you unless, think that is? Unless somebody with a really bad, energy. bad heart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. unless they come in. Do you believe in ghosts as well? Uh, bro. You would do if you lived down here, bro. And seen the stuff I seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, but you know what's crazy is that um, they don't really bother us at all. And yeah, they don't. Friendly ghosts. Into the, like we come in pure hearts. We really yeah. do. And it doesn't matter what they think about that or feel about that. As long as we know we are, we're true. Like they say, we're Ghosts aren't the only thing lurking down there. You know how many times I've heard, oh man, you didn't see him? He's bad, he's staying, and he's seven foot tall, and he's this, and he's so gnarly, and I'm like, I've never seen him. Sounds a lot of like people have. Sasquatch or something yeah. like that. Yeah, right. One of my friends went exploring one time, and he, he said down in the tunnels deeper, he would find like nests. Like, and they're like people, but they're not. Yeah. Uh, so those would be the actual mole people. So that was a clip uh, by the Wonton Don on YouTube, and I believe he's affiliated with Barstool Sports. I thought it was really interesting. They were saying that they don't usually encounter evil spirits unless somebody with a bad heart or bad energy comes in. And so that attracts the evil spirits. And then they talk about these uh, beings that they're seeing deep in, in, in the underground tunnel system people who go deeper into the system and they're human but they're not and he describes them as seven foot tall right the stuff we always hear about about these these beings in in lore and mythology the the reptilians or whoever the giants i don't know seven foot tall they're it's always it's something i've heard in my research always when people are describing other beings they're seven foot tall they're always seven foot tall sometimes you hear they do talk about how they smell a certain way um so i thought that was super super interesting and creepy but uh yeah i've had people on my show who've had near-death experiences tell me that they've seen uh, the reptilians, and they talk about them like it's very obvious. Yeah, they very they very much exist to them. So these people are going somewhere when they have these death experiences, and I, I believe a lot of times they are in the lower astral realm, which would be the eighth sphere, and they're seeing these creatures. Back in 2021, Tom DeLonge posted something really interesting. Now, Tom DeLonge is the guitarist of Blink-182, a popular pop-punk band. Uh, but if you haven't followed him, he has become involved with the military in disclosing the whole alien thing. And even though he's become a Freemason and he's involved with military people that I clearly don't like and I, and I think are misleading him, uh, I do think that he is genuinely pursuing real information I don't think he's corrupted in that way yet. I think I think they're they're just misleading him as they do with everyone, and uh, same with the Freemasons. But uh, I think Tom DeLonge does release some really good information, information that I've found truthful. And back in 2021, he posted this pic with only real pic underneath it. And for me, I was 
kind of blown away, even though it's a grainy ass photo and you can't really see much. Um, it looks exactly like some kind of reptilian being. I just wanted to post that because I don't think a lot of people really appreciated that post. And I think it's still somewhere on his Instagram page buried under thousands of posts. But everybody just kind of like laughed it off for the most part. Um, as you can see, there's one there's one comment there. Somebody got it. But um, yeah, most of the people on his feed are just like, whatever, Tom's crazy. But I think he does once in a while really let some interesting things slip. That being said, I certainly would not trust anyone in his camp who he's involved with in the military and so on and so forth uh, without really researching it myself. And, and this is something I want to get across to people is that there will be very much a narrative a version of the narrative given off by the military and government um, to mislead people. And so you can garner information from some of the things they say, but you really have to pull apart the, the truth from the bullshit. And one of the things we hear about reptilians in particular, but is certainly not exclusive to them, is that they feed off of low frequency, right? Low frequency energy, uh, fear, anxiety, that sort of thing. These are all emotions that would be keeping us like rooted in our lower three chakras or uh, the fear-based system of the mind, right? The reptilian brain. And we have the reptilian brain. And the story is that they gave us this reptilian brain. I don't think they created us. I think they want us to believe that they created us, but, they're not, but they haven't. They, they didn't. Um, but I think along the way, they could have genetically manipulated the, the human race in whatever way they do that which is what they've been doing for the past three years, right? They were really into getting people uh, injected with a certain something. And what did we find? We found a lot of patents and evidence of a certain material that may have been in there that uh, can hold a charge, can hold a frequency. Because what can change form? Frequency radiation can change form. So if there is something in your body that can resonate on a certain frequency, let's say a low frequency, would that then make you susceptible to these entities? That would be like possession, right? Very interesting thought. Very terrifying thought. But this is what we hear all the time, you know, keep your vibration high, you need to raise your vibration, go up the chain of your chakras or whatever school of thought, you know what I mean? We're always hearing about this, to ascend to a higher consciousness, you need to vibrate higher. So are they suppressing our consciousness? Are they suppressing our ability to move past this dimension or, you know, keep you in a in a low state of being. It's very possible. And I think the goal along with this is to alter the human form. And I think they pulled a little trick with these mRNA jabs, right? Everybody was concerned, everybody who had a brain at least, was concerned about, uh, you know, DNA manipulation. And there was supposedly this whole chemical way that they were doing it. 
But I think that was maybe partially a red herring in the way that they described it, at least, right? I don't think that they were able to do anything the way that they uh, described it. But if there's graphene in there, well, no one was really talking about graphene, except for a very small minority of people, then you could certainly do that via radiation, like I said. My buddy Ryan Gutierrez uh, wrote something to me, and I want to quote him because I think it explains uh, the whole DNA thing uh, in, in an amazing way. Ryan said, The existence of DNA is still a mystery that is yet to be scientifically confirmed. The transformation of microzymes into bacteria could be the key to this assertion. Microzymas are dot-like portals discovered in biological creatures that connect the spiritual, vibrational, and physical worlds. These microzymas represent the point at which high-frequency, etheric, cosmic energy converges to form a slowed, vibrational torus field that has taken many density shapes before condensing into what we term matter. Simply put, by manipulating how these microzymas react, either chemically or through frequency, by tapping into their innate signature resonant frequency, one can manipulate how they resonate and affect the vibratory geometrical standing wave patterns that correspond to a specific trait. For me, the key is uh, through frequency, as he said. I think that's an excellent uh, explanation. I want to play a snippet from a video by a scientist named Michael Claridge uh, who goes into the topic of DNA. And I think it's very relevant to this talk and understanding what DNA actually is. It has more to do with energy, frequency, and, and the manipulation of the electric body. So this will be very pertinent to uh, the things that we're going to discuss in this podcast. Over the past 70 years, many thousands of experiments have been run to elucidate the role of DNA in developmental biology. But try as we might, we could never show that genes actually create any forms. What exactly in the DNA determines that an arm be shaped just so and not otherwise? How is the inside of the mouth formed just right to meld with the nose above and the throat below? Search the literature and you will find that the best we can do is to show that disabling certain sections of DNA will cause some body part to form incorrectly. But this does not mean that the DNA is causing the form of that body part. I was always surprised at such sloppy thinking. That would be like me showing that I can prevent you from driving to the store if I give you a flat tire. Correct. You cannot drive to the store if you have a flat tire. But the tire was never the cause of you going to the store. Just because mucking with some DNA causes an arm to form incorrectly does not mean that the genes cause the shape of the arm. Using a cooking metaphor, which is surprisingly accurate, Ingredients do not, by themselves, cause anything. You need a recipe that tells you what to do with the ingredients. And what is the meal? How many people are you cooking for? What is the order of the evening? All that makes a real difference. Our genes do not necessarily tell our bodies what to make or when to make it. 
These decisions are made mostly outside the genes. Everyone should know that we do not really understand DNA. Every decade, the advanced textbooks need to be rewritten because we find out that the system is way more complicated than we previously thought. What we call genes are really a very small part of the total DNA. Genes are that small part of the code that contain the blueprint for building proteins. We still do not know what most of the DNA does. The collection of all the genes in your DNA is much like a giant ingredient list. If you had a cookbook of all the recipes you could ever make, and you made an index of all the ingredients needed for all those recipes, that is what the genes are. All the blueprints for how to make each of the ingredients you might ever need. But again, genes constitute only a very small part of the DNA. The work in Dr. Levin's lab is impressive by any measure. These are virtuoso level skills. They alter the DNA of individual cells to change the number of ion pumps the cell makes for itself. This makes these particular cells more or less electrically polarized relative to what they would have been in the wild type. At certain times in the development of the embryo, if enough cells in one place can be tricked into creating just the right electrical alterations, then body parts will grow in that location. An eye will grow inside of a stomach, a toe might grow on an elbow. The 70-year-old central dogma of biology states that DNA, isolated inside the nucleus, causes all shapes and forms to appear. What does Levin's result show? That an electric field external to the nucleus caused the shapes and forms to appear when and where they did. So if you understood that little video clip, you should be a little terrified. Because we do have evidence that people may have been subjected to an uh, experimental substance, perhaps like graphene oxide. And if you read into graphene oxide, it can hold a charge. Uh, it can work with electric fields. Right, can have you vibrating at uh, specific frequencies. And then you got to think about, well, there were all these frequencies added to the Earth at the very same time, right? They were creating a new electric field on the planet. And I think that's a multi-layered thing, which I'll try to go into a little bit later. I don't want to jump too, ahead, too much ahead here, but uh, I, I hope you're catching the drift. But the point here is that if this substance happens to be resonating or in accumulating in certain organs of the body, in specific electric fields, then one could deduce that uh, it could alter the human form very slowly over time with exposure to whatever electric field or frequency. Steiner said something really interesting. If you're not familiar with this, um, then I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to edit it in because I already did like a short video on this uh, maybe last year or something. Uh, most people have heard this quote before, but Steiner said something uh, very interesting about vaccines. And so I wanted to play that for anybody who hasn't 
heard that. So if you think if you think Steiner was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, well, he said some pretty spot on shit. Among his many lectures, Steiner was quoted as saying, In the future, we will eliminate the soul with medicine. Under the pretext of a healthy point of view, there will be a vaccine by which the human body will be treated as soon as possible directly at birth, so that the human being cannot develop the thought of the existence of a soul and spirit. Two materialistic doctors will be entrusted with the task of removing the soul of humanity. As today, people are vaccinated against this disease or that disease, so in the future, children will be vaccinated with a substance that can be produced precisely in such a way that people, thanks to this vaccination, will be immune to being subjected to the madness of spiritual life. He would be extremely smart, but he would not develop a conscience, and that is the true goal of some materialistic circles. With such a vaccine, you can easily make the etheric body loose in the physical body. Once the etheric body is detached, the relationship between the universe and the etheric body would become extremely unstable, and man would become an automaton. For the physical body of man must be polished on this earth by spiritual will. So the vaccine becomes a kind of aromantic force. Man can no longer get rid of a given materialistic feeling. He becomes materialistic of constitution and can no longer rise to the spiritual. Pretty prophetic quote. I mean, that's pretty insane. He kind of called it. And there's so much that can be done with various nanoparticles, graphene oxide, nanobots. I mean, there's a whole entire industry on this stuff. People don't realize what they're capable of at this point. And they work on this stuff for years before they even tell us that it's happening. I've had this video for a few years. It shows the use of nanoparticles in magnetic fields. It says, here inside a living cancer cell, a large number of super nanoparticles are magnetically manipulated with their positions revealed by their fluorescent glow. So they're magnetically manipulating these tiny nanoparticles. Here, super nanoparticles suspended in a droplet of glycerol and water are collected in a cluster at the bottom by applying a magnetic field. So they can direct those nanoparticles, direct them exactly where they want to go using magnetic fields. The next step is to test the new nanoparticles in other biological settings for a variety of potential applications. I wonder what kind of biological settings they may have tested those in. Doctors can also be equipped with wireless transmitters so that doctors can change the treatment method to respond specifically to the state of the medical condition. They also hold the potential to completely replace pacemakers by treating the heart's cell directly. Research regarding nanobots in medicine offers several opportunities such as artificial antibodies, artificial white and red blood cells, and antiviral nanobots. They are super durable and could theoretically operate for years without any damage. Nanobots in fact hold the potential to address many health problems besides cancer, such as unblocking blood vessels in hard to reach areas, taking biopsies, or measuring the level of certain chemicals in otherwise inaccessible areas of the body. Antiviral nanobots, right?
Oh, there's a new virus. It's okay. We can just pump you full of these nanobots and it'll take care of the problem. Even though we never found one of those little virus things that we were always talking about. They mentioned unblocking blood vessels, getting to hard to reach places of the body. This is how they get people. They're going to talk about all the great medical advantages that can happen because of these new scientific improvements, these achievements, right? But as we know, the medical industry is run by Satanists and they love to invert things. So if they can do great things to your body, they can certainly do bad things, very bad things. They just want the keys to your body, right? So they're going to sell you using all the good stuff that can be done. We have to really be smart about this stuff and not fall for the bullshit, the salesmanship that they use. Almost all technology can be used for good and evil. And almost all of it now, in modern times, has a nefarious purpose. Right? Like, look at Elon Musk's Neuralink, right? Of course they're going to be able to, like, cure blindness or, you know, help people walk again. But they're also putting a chip in your brain, you know, like there's other implications. And we've talked on the show before about even the internet, you know, as great an invention as it was, uh, is really, really harmful in a number of ways. For one, they can delete everything willy-nilly. I mean, they can really control the information if it's all digital. It's like, you know, when, when books all become digital, when information all becomes digital, book burning becomes really easy, Right? They can manipulate the parts of the internet. They can uh, censor us as they did the last three years. So we have to be really careful about technology. We really have to go back to a more basic form of communication. We have to not go too far into the digital. I, I love technology myself. You know, it, it does help us connect, but we have to really remain at our core spiritual beings because this is the divergent path this is the divergent path that they're trying to create away from the spiritual everything technological is going to take you away from your spiritual life from your connection to the soul and the more you head down the path of technology the more demonic it becomes the more rooted in matter you are the more rooted in the matrix you are that's what th that's how they want to keep you this is, a, this is a spiritual war at the end of the day. It absolutely is. It's a holy war. It started thousands of years ago. And we are headed to a place where humans will either become more synthetic or more organic. The choice is yours. When you stay rooted in the organic side of life, the spiritual side of life, when you adhere to natural law, when you stay sovereign, the, this is what keeps you on the path of spiritual enlightenment in, in evolving in your, in your spirit, your soul. The other path, those people will become fallen. They will become just like the fallen beings we're talking about in this podcast. This is a good spot to go into some AI material and how this all factors in. I want you to meet Jordy Rose. He is the founder of a company called D-Wave and now with a company called Kindred AI. And this guy literally opens up his speech here with, we're going to talk about aliens. I'm just going to play that 
real quick before anything. So we had a, I'm going to talk about aliens. So then he goes on to laugh about how people are calling his work a big conspiracy and he basically gaslights his own shit, which is a very satanic behavior. Is there's this gigantic uh, conspiracy that's arisen on the internet that goes like this. So D-Wave builds quantum computers. The way that they work, if you know this, how this works, is one of the interpretations is that you tap into these parallel universes and they do computations. Sounds really weird. But uh, what, what, what's happened is this idea has been hijacked to describe something called the Mandela effect, which is this thing where um, the past changes. So think about something you know to be true from the past. And then imagine you went out on the internet and you can't find it at all. It's not there. It doesn't match with your experience. So these people think that D-Wave is responsible and CERN. And of course, the quantum key to the abyss factors into it somehow. I'm not exactly sure how. So he mentions the Mandela effect, which we did an episode on actually. And I do think there's something very strange with some of the Mandela effects. I think some of them are also confused and maybe people are just kind of like psyching themselves into thinking things have changed, but there is definitely something strange going on there. So it makes me wonder, you know, maybe are they manipulating time? Are they um, accessing other dimensions, other timelines? Who knows? And I have to make note here of the name, the quantum key to the abyss. The abyss has always been known as a hellish-like area, right? Um, also, deep beneath the sea, that is the abyss in biblical terms as well. That would be the A-sphere, hell, purgatory, the bardo, you name it. So if you're trying to dispel any kind of conspiracy theories, that's a hell of a name to choose. Here's a Wikipedia definition, and it mentions here in the, in the middle, the abyss was the primordial waters of chaos out of which the ordered world was created. The term could also refer literally to the depths of the sea, the deep source of a spring of the interior of the earth. The abyss was the underworld, either the abode of the dead or eventually the realm of the rebellious spirits. In the latter sense, specifically, the abyss was often seen as a prison for demons. When we look at Job 26.5 from the Bible, we see dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. A closer look in the companion Bible here says, dead things are formed from under the waters, the place where the Rephaim stay. Rephaim is referencing the Hebrew for the dead or dead things or demons. Uh, it says here, the offspring of the fallen angels akin to the Nephilim, and is referencing hell or Sheol from the Hebrew, because it says, Sheol is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. So it's, you know, essentially the same thing, this realm of the dead, uh, Sheol, hell, the bardo, the eighth sphere. So this seems to also be connected with deep under the sea, under the earth, as above, so below, right? I think that maybe means more than we think it does. This is from Matthew 8.32, where Jesus casts out demons into a herd of swine. 
So the demons appealed to him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go forth out of the man. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and died in the waters. And Jordan Maxwell used to talk about this, and he said something years ago that's really interesting. I want to play that real quick. Why would the, why would the swine or pigs run into the sea? when they were filled with demonic uh, spirits. Is there something going on in the sea that they were using these animals? Uh, they have to, they were disembodied spirits, they have to be inside of a body until they can get to water, because your body is over 90% water, and if they can exist inside of your, your battery, inside of your um, body, which is, as I said, is over 90% water. Is there something going on that these spirit entities need to get back into water? Just a thought. It's an interesting thought. Maybe there is something to that as well, you know, along with the kind of melding of frequencies. Maybe water is part of that. I don't know. And while we're on the subject of water and the sea, uh, I wanted to make another connection here. And here's something that I pre-recorded a while ago, but I'm going to put it in here. If you've been paying attention to my podcasts and other films I've released, you know the origin of the global cult that runs this realm ultimately derives from the Babylonian bloodlines leading back to the Canaanites who became known as the Phoenicians. Who were the Phoenicians? A seafaring people who through the centuries would be responsible for the creation and implementation of maritime law the law of the sea, or what is now cleverly disguised as the legal statutory system. Implementing the law of the sea rather than operating within the law of the land gave the cult the ability to subvert natural law or God's law by assigning every person a fictional straw man entity, essentially rendering them dead and lost at sea. One has to ask, why is the law of the sea the law of the dead. Under God's law, no living man can be ruled over by any other. So in order to gain dominion over the people of earth, the Babylonian cult created their legal system of the dead. After thousands of years of wreaking havoc and infiltrating various civilizations and cultures around the world. But where did the Canaanite Phoenicians come from? Could it be possible that at the bottom of this bloodline, their origin is not of this world. So it is really interesting that they are responsible for the legal statutory system, which is, uh, you know, the law of the dead, right? As opposed to the law of the land, which is the law of the living. You are a living, breathing man or woman, but under the legal system, they created this straw man entity, which turns you into dead legal fiction. So very interesting connection there. And I just want to mention in the last several years, there's been some interesting news reports and stuff on podcasts that I've noticed. Here's a Commander Fravor discussing an experience that he had, and he's in the news recently. And I think this guy is just a kind of low-level dude who experienced some stuff, and he's now being released, you know, or able to talk by the higher-ups. Not too long later, you know, a few months later, he's out and he's picking up a torpedo. 
So he says they got the they hooked the diver up on the winch and they're lowering him in. And as he's looking down, he sees this big massive. He goes, "It's not a submarine." He's seen submarines before. Once you see a submarine, you you can't confuse it with something else. This big object, you know, kind of circularly says it's coming up from the depths, and he starts screaming to through the intercom system to tell him to pull the diver up. And the diver's like a few feet from the water. So they reverse the winch, and the diver's thinking, "What the hell's going on?" And he's getting pulled up, and all of a sudden, uh, he said the torpedo just got sucked down underwater. And the object just descended back down into the depths. And here's two separate news reports from like several years ago that all witness uh, a flying object descending into the sea. A newly released video recorded by the U.S. Navy personnel two years ago shows an unknown sphere that followed a Navy warship before disappearing into the ocean. Personnel in the command center made multiple recordings of what was on the screen. At precisely 11 p.m., the unidentified sphere seemingly vanished into the ocean. Officials from the Federal Aviation Administration say there were no aircraft incidents or accidents in this area Tuesday night, but multiple witnesses report seeing a large blue object fall out of the sky and into the ocean. Fun fact, there was actually a 1989 film entitled The Abyss, where a civilian diving team is enlisted to search for a lost nuclear submarine and faces danger while encountering an alien aquatic species. And Ed Harris's character gets led by aliens into an under-the-sea uh, alien city. So this stuff has been in films for a while. Let's get back to Jordy Rose here. Obviously, computers are better at things than people in lots of different ways. So now imagine not only can they do everything that a human can do, but they can do everything that the best human at any task could do better than them. And if you notice, they're always trying to put down humans. They're always trying to make us feel less, right? Like we're not powerful. They want us to be dependent on um, the material aspect of life, the you know material things, AI, technology. That's why everything they do, every construct they've created is grounded in the materialist uh, mindset, right? Materialist science, we've talked a lot about that. Um, you know, medicine. It's always looking at dead things, at uh, at hard matter. It's not involved with the spirit. Nothing spiritual is allowed in that realm, in that um, area of study. Now, just imagine what would happen if it if that happened. A super intelligent alien race beamed down a message to all of us Earthlings saying, we're coming July 13th, 2030, and boy, you better be ready because the mothership is landing right on the front lawn of the White House or wherever you wanted to land on that day. That's obviously creepy. In the news a few months back, I've mentioned in other podcasts, there was a news report about an alien mothership. They just randomly said, oh, yeah, there's a possible mothership sighted in our solar system. 60 seconds, the new draft report on UFOs. The Pentagon's expert warning about a possible mothership coming close to Earth. Stay with us. So that's extremely odd that that hasn't really been mentioned except for that one time. Uh, it does seem like a big reveal on their part or, uh, you know, that they're definitely warming us up for something big. The amount of resources that would be marshaled to try to figure out what to do would it would encompass the whole world. AI is just like that. 
So when this thing that I'm talking about happens, it's going to be exactly the thing that you're thinking about, about those super intelligent AIs. So the one thing I can tell you is they're not going to be like us. So alien means, you know, different. These things that we're building are not going to be people. They might be really smart. They might be really good at all sorts of different things, but they're not going to be like us. They're going to be aliens. And they're going to be, I'm sorry to say, way smarter than every single person in this room in ways that we can't even comprehend. He's so friggin' blasé about it. Like, he's literally admitting to creating an artificial intelligence that will absolutely crush humanity in every way possible. But he's going to do it anyway. Because why not? So this, of course, triggers a lot of alarm. One of the guys who talks about this is Elon, who uh, says things like this. Like, when you do this, beware. Because you think, just like the guy in the stories, that when you do this, you're going to put that, that, that little guy in a pentagram, and you're going to have your holy water out, and you're going to wave it at the thing, and by God, it's going to do exactly what you say and not one thing more, but it never works out that way. He seems pretty well up to speed on how to summon demons, if you notice. You know, he knows everything about the pentagram. That's how supposedly they summon demons during their satanic rituals. They draw a pentagram on the ground, and, um, they, you know, they do their ritual, whatever they do, their incantations, and by standing in the pentagram... Uh, they are safe from being devoured by whatever demon they're summoning, reptilian or whatever you want to consider. And because you're standing in that geometry, there's something about that sort of sacred geometry that uh, protects you while you're summoning this demon. Fun facts. There's this guy named H.P. Lovecraft, who's a very famous American weird fiction author. And he exposed a, a view which is called cosmicism. And the essence of cosmicism is cosmic indifference. So he, what he was saying is basically, yes, there are these massively intelligent entities out there, but they're not good, they're not evil. They just don't give a shit about you even in the slightest. The same way that you don't care about an ant is the same way they're not going to care about you. And these things that we're summoning into the world now are not demons, they're not evil, but they're more like the Lovecraftian great old ones. There are entities that are not necessarily going to be aligned with what we want. Yeah, bud, that sounds pretty evil to me. The privation of care, uh, the absence of good or like, you know, sense of empathy. Sounds like it's going to suck. Nobody is paying attention. This thing is happening in the background while people bicker about politics and what, what's going to be in the healthcare plan in the U.S. And underneath it all is this rising tsunami that, if we're not careful, is going to wipe us all out. I actually agree with him on this point. I think people are not really giving this enough attention. They're really throwing it in our faces that something is going to happen. Whether you believe it's a fake Project Blue Beam or it's real, um, I, don't, I don't think we're giving it enough attention. And really, this, this would overshadow anything, anything else going on. I mean, politics, who cares about that? You know, all, all these little things we squabble over, the, the, the news keeps us busy thinking about. Uh, this is this is the thing 
This is the threat, if it is true, that we should be preparing for. But we're too busy laughing at lizard people and, you know, the idea of aliens and whatnot. I'm just saying, consider that that something may happen. A lot of crazy shit happened in the last three years that we didn't think was possible. So, you know, better safe than sorry is all I'm saying. But he's basically telling you, you know, you guys, we're telling you this stuff and you guys don't give a shit. So, um... On that uh, pleasant note, uh, we're hiring people <laughs> to try to make something like this happen. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, this is a very uh, difficult project, of course. And I'm, I'm kind of a little bit tongue in cheek about all this, like, you know, uh, how, how bad things are, because uh, it's not really like that. You know, there's technology is a double edged sword, even something like this. Uh, it's agnostic, it depends who wields it. So this could potentially wipe us out. This is the biggest thing. Nobody's paying attention to this. And so we're hiring people to make this happen. So this is very typical of like Satanists. They will give you complete disclosure and then they will give you the inverse. Oh, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. You know, <laughs> this is how it really is. It's all fine. That's a very sort of satanic way of operating. And you'll notice in the big psyops, they've done that, right? Uh, the last three years, we saw a lot of that, right? Oh, um, we have a liberal approach to mortality, right? Oh, don't be ridiculous. The numbers aren't fudged. <laughs> they always tell you, they tell you how it is, and they give you the inverse and they gaslight you. And this nerd thinks he's being cute by putting, we're hiring demonologists, right? Crossed out. They're telling you. So I don't want to take up too much more time with this uh, nerd, but there's a part where this guy asks him a question about basically, how are you going to stop this from getting out of control? And uh, I want you to hear his response. It's completely ridiculous and nonsensical. Hey, uh, great to have you out here. It was uh, brilliant hearing nice. you speak for the first time myself. I'm sure a lot of people here would agree with me. Hey, I'm a nerd. I live in my mom's basement. Can I kiss you on the mouth? Um, what is your goal to stop the world from turning into that of the Terminator? Uh, right. Um, so I've, uh, you know, I've... So there are, there are things about the world that I can't stand, okay? And I think that's probably true for everybody here. You know, you look at the world and there's all these things that you think, shit, why is things, what are things like that? So there's a couple of things you can do um, when you're faced with this. The, the one that I've, I've found works for me is I'm like, screw that, I'm going to do that myself, right? So back, you know, 25 years ago, I was like, this is bullshit. Why aren't there any quantum computers? It's not that hard a problem. And so we changed the world by actually building them. And in this case, this is bullshit. Why don't we have AI? It's been, what, 60 years since Turing? I mean, the, the, it's an absolute catastrophic failure of human resource allocation that we spend enormous amounts of money on things that are of no lasting consequence when the mechanism that generates all human flourishing is not understood. It doesn't make any sense. Every single thing that we will ever do and ever have done comes from this property. So when someday all cancer is cured, 
when polio was cured, when smallpox was cured. These things all came from people's minds. What the actual fuck did you just say? The dude asked you about how you're going to stop the world from crumbling into some kind of like futuristic nightmare like Terminator. And you start talking about like how you hate the world, like how you're an angry little nerd. The world is bullshit. Everything is bullshit. I don't have enough nerd things. Then we need more nerd things. And when I was living in my mom's basement yesterday, I was thinking about how we don't have the things that I want to have. And I hate every girl because they won't date me. Like, he just seems like an angry little, like, Satanist. But that was a masterful sidestep and, like, evasion of... uh, of the question like you see politicians do that all the time that's very rehearsed thing that politicians do when they're asked a question that they uh don't want to answer that is detrimental they will completely go off into another subject and you'll just get so wrapped up in that subject or whatever they're talking about because they put like passion behind it and you know you'll forget about what the actual question was but he did try to kind of insert like all the good things, you know, oh, we cured polio and we cured all these diseases, you know, these diseases, these viruses that never existed that were, you know, usually due to uh, like lack of sanitation or some poison they were spraying onto people. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to ramp up the, the, the good side of AI to make people think, you know, it's worth it because, oh, we'll make the blind see and, you know, we'll have all these things. We'll make people walk again. That's how they're going to sell it. Anyway, I could spend the whole podcast, like, talking about this guy and all the weird shit that I can find on him. Um, look through his tweets. They're very strange. Here he is looking at a book called Spells, Charms, and Incantations. Uh, he's got a little, you know, funny little part here about cheese. But uh, it's like, why are you reading a book about spells and incantations, bro? Very strange people running this AI thing. And of course, old Jordy here's been involved with the likes of Jeff Bezos and the CIA, right? They're involved with D-Wave. So, uh, yeah, that's got to be good news, right? We have to mention CERN, of course. CERN is a big one. They're running some huge particle collider, right? No one's really sure what they're doing, but they seem to be uh, manipulating something. And uh, a while back in 2016, they were caught doing some kind of uh, supposedly mock human sacrifice. They've got a uh, statue put up of Shiva, which basically amounts to Satan. So, yeah, you know, another big AI outfit that is, uh, that's really up to some odd behavior. They do seem preoccupied with manipulating or looking for other dimensions. This is openly stated on their website and things. So it's important to ask ourselves what these various outfits are really trying to accomplish. Are they trying to open the door to another dimension? Are they trying to bring in the eighth sphere onto the earth? Are they trying to bring some kind of antichrist 
figure incarnate onto the earth? Is that possible? Who knows? We've been trapped in these false paradigms of science or whatever they feed us forever, and they're leagues above what we know. Our limited perception of the nature of reality or what is possible is so dim because they've held it from us. They are the illuminated ones. They've kept all the knowledge for themselves and the high initiates. But maybe the most important conversation this invites is whether or not we are collectively creating in a consensus reality. Seeing as the eighth sphere is a realm where our collective negative aspects live, maybe there's something to that. William Bowman thinks so. He's an out-of-body researcher and author. And in his book, Adventures in the Afterlife, he wrote, All dimensions occupy the same time and space. They are separated by their individual frequency and resolving density. As we move in toward the energy source, each heaven becomes progressively more thought-responsive. Multiple heavens exist within each dimension, created by the group consciousness of the inhabitants. So assuming that's true, and they know this information, well, what would you need to do to a population to get them under your control? Maybe install a media? Promulgate fear and anxiety constantly? Let's say you want to create the idea of a new virus. You put that on the news stations 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Cases this, cases that, this many dead. Fear, fear, fear. And the entire planet believes this. There is this new thing. These are the symptoms. Loss of taste and smell. Whatever, stuffy nose, whatever it is. If you have the collective, the entire collective, believing these things... They accept that as their reality. I would think you could collectively create those symptoms and the effects of that virus as if it were real. Kind of changes the conversation a little bit, doesn't it? In a myriad of ways. And we can already see this happening on an individual basis. Nocebo, placebo effect. We know that we can create our own illness. We can even make ourselves healthy by believing it. Daniel and I were talking about this in, in my last podcast. Our thoughts are magnetic. I think that does work on an individual basis. And more than anything else, the, the most power is in the collective, the collective thought forms. So then we know how to beat the system. If we just shift our thoughts... And we don't give in to fear. That's why I said at the beginning of this podcast, do not consume this information in fear. Understand what's going on, but at the same time, I want everybody to envision the type of planet that they really want that's really going to happen. And do not accept this as your reality. None of the stuff that they say. Understand that it's their agenda, it's their goal. 
But you, you will create something better. Because it's true, we're all guilty of this. We watch whatever news, whatever media, social media, and we see these stories. You know, oh, they're going to make us eat bugs. Oh, there's going to be food shortages. Oh, there's going to be this. Oh, they're going to do that. And then we all start thinking about these things. And then we all start putting them on our Instagram and our Facebook. You know, 24-7, we're cycling these things and we're creating, we're manifesting. So maybe we should all chill a little bit more. Right? Put the put the information out and then chill. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't have to do like a 24-7 campaign. And a lot of people are still doing that on social media. They're still like, they're caught in this kind of cycle uh, that we got into during COVID where we're like posting memes, you know, and we're, you know, Bill Gates and, you know, all of this stuff. And I'm not saying stop sharing information, but let's make sure that we're not manifesting more than we're causing awareness. Let's not let the byproduct become fear and a manifestation of their agenda. Let's be cognizant of that because fear is totally their ally. The last thing I wanted to mention before I wrap this up is this whole thing about the soul trap because it's related to this consensus reality thing right as I already mentioned the eight sphere is this sort of catch-all realm of our our shadows our negative aspects our our demons right it's an artificial realm and I want to make this clear like I'm specifically talking about this realm in in this podcast there are other organic beings i hear so um i don't want to i want to make sure i'm not um being too broad but this particular realm is artificial intelligence that we created it's full of our thought forms so if people are going to this place after death And they believe in a construct. They've taken the constructs and beliefs with them. Let's say they're super Christian. They might see Jesus. If they're really afraid of hell, they might see a biblical representation of hell. They will be confronted with whatever they fear, with whatever construct they hold on to. That's why I say it's so important to get rid of all these man-made constructs. Because you don't need them. And if you haven't worked through these, you have to face them. Whatever you believe, you will be confronted with. Matthew 6.10 in the Bible, right? What does it say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you believe on earth, you will take with you to the heavenly realms. Makes sense. So, I obviously change my mind on this all the time. I'm not sure, I can't say I have this all figured out. There's still a lot of stuff about the whole 
soul trap and reincarnation thing that conflicts to me and how evil it does seem sometimes. But maybe we are creating all of it. Who knows? But there are other beings, it seems like, besides these uh, artificial ones that we create. So is it possible that they've taken control of something they shouldn't have? Who knows? Maybe we have been captured. And we need to escape this. Either way, we need to escape this. But I think, no matter what you believe the soul trap is, I think standing in your power is the best method. Because there does seem to be adherence to natural law. And that's why it's so important that while you're here, to really stand in your sovereignty. Maybe all this is a test. You know, because if you can't stand up to the cashier who's telling you to put shit on your face, or you can't stand up to your job who's telling you to inject yourself with something, then how are you going to fend off whatever you have to fend off in the afterlife to cross the abyss, to get through the eighth sphere? Right? Maybe this is practice. And I'm sort of thankful that I, that I found that out about myself. That no matter who stands in my way, I will say no. I'm not going to wear that bullshit on my face. I'm not going to inject myself with this. Take your job. I don't care about your money. I don't care about these modern day conveniences that you're taking away from me. I will live in the woods. And that's how you have to be. You have to strip yourself of all these materialistic things. Because when, when we truly do that, when we really stay with nature, and we really understand what is important here, then we purify ourselves. And maybe that type of purification is what we need to, ke- to get past this wheel of samsara, right? Just my thoughts. There are so many other things I wanted to cover in this podcast, but I want to keep it kind of short. I may consider doing a part two to this. I don't know. We'll see what the feedback is. If I get some positive feedback, maybe, maybe I'll consider it. Uh, but do let me know what you th- what you thought. Uh, constructive criticism is nice. Uh, nice comments, please. Uh, and I'd hate to mention this, but please don't leave negative, like, mean comments. I just ban people who, who do that because I don't, I don't need to see that. But if you have something nice to say, I'd love to hear it. Or, you know, just some general feedback that's not colored in hatred. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for everybody who donates. If I haven't said thank you to you personally... Uh, please know I do see your donations, and I and I thank you so, so much for that. Thank you for everybody who subscribes to the subscribers-only section. Please consider doing that if you, uh, if you don't mind paying three bucks a month. It's not too bad. And yeah, share this with your friends. Please uh, help the podcast grow. Take care, guys. 